Welcome to Digging Deeper in Grace, a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Our goal each episode is to dig deeper into the scriptures with a focus on our most recent sermon. And now let's dig deeper. Well, thanks for joining in with us. I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, and whenever, wherever, and however you're listening, we're glad you're back with us. Back with me today at the table is Tim Cockrell, and we're going to be discussing his third sermon in our short sermon series, Understanding the Will of God. And Tim, I've got to confess, this past week, I felt it was the will of God that I take my family, or at least part of my family, down to South Carolina, the beach, so I wasn't here in person, but I heard you online, and uh, great, great sermon, just a lot of, again, real practical advice and, uh, you know, biblically-based advice on understanding the will of God. So it's good to have you back. A beach vacation sounds like it fits in the moral and the sovereign. Okay, very good. I I thought maybe you'd you'd follow up with something like that. Well, Tim, I got to tell you, as I'm listening to your message over these past three sermons, I'm regularly going back to passages, and we've talked about these particular passages and others throughout the past few weeks, but passages like Psalm 1, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And for instance, you know, the subject of Psalm 1 isn't seeking God's will every once in a while when something new or any specific decision comes up. God is talking about the man who, who's resting in God's will, and he's just sitting there in God's will or, or moving in God's will. And that reader of Proverbs 3, you know, we talk about uh, uh, the guy who's being called simply to trust God fully and not trust himself. It really seems to be the epitome of seeking and knowing God's will, how you're describing it. That's right. It's not a matter of trying to find God's will. It's it's knowing God. And, and I think so many times when we approach a topic like this, it's I want to make the right choice. I want to make the right decision in many cases because I want things to go well with me. I don't want you know to have less income than I would want or I don't want to have an unhappy marriage. But what God wants us to do is to know him to study his word, to begin to embody his character. And that's why throughout this series we've said God cares far more about how and why you make the decisions than the individual decisions that you make because that's when you show that you are being conformed to his image. You are being transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so that's exactly what Psalm 1 would describe, that you are being shaped by the people you are around, by meditating on the law of the Lord, and as a result, Moment by moment, day by day, your thinking, your feeling, and therefore your decisions are being shaped by God's work in your life. And that's exactly what Psalm 1 is saying. He's saying, okay, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or the ungodly, does not stand in the path of sinners, and does not sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. So it's not only in the company you keep, but it's in the what you're putting into your mind. Uh, I think back to oh, two years ago, we went down to visit uh, son number two, middle middle kid down in uh, or up in Massachusetts, and I mean he he cooked up or grilled up a wonderful kebabs, uh, little tips, uh, sirloin tips. He had marionated those things to perfection, mm. and it just that just my, makes my mouth water thinking about it now. But it's the whole idea marionating in the right stuff. Absolutely, the, soaking it in. When we're saturated with God's word, what we've done is day by day made deposits of biblical understanding. 
that then we draw from as we make these daily decisions. And so many times I think what we try to do is think, okay, as I sit down to study God's word, what do I get out of it this morning? And it may be that you're not going to actually need to draw on that truth for months or even years, but that by faithfully making those deposits, that you then have a worldview that is shaped by God's truth. And going back to a conference that you and I attended here about a week and a half ago, we were up in at Parkside Church. Uh, if you want to hear more about that, you can go back to last week's uh, podcast because we had a little download with Adam Hammett and Byron Shearer. But uh, I remember one of the gentlemen speaking, I forget if it was one of the main sessions or if it was in one of the breakout sessions, but just speaking, uh, you talk about we're, we're so results oriented. What am I getting out? of this he was saying whoever it was uh was saying you know i get up and i read god's word and sometimes it's just not giving me anything or so i think Mm -hmm. but i'm still to use the word i just used i'm still marinating absolutely well just like you know you may not be able to remember the meal that you had two weeks ago you still drew nourishment from it and whether you realize it or not it gave your body the energy you needed to do what that day held And in the same way, you know, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord, that as we feast on God's word, sometimes it'll be a delectable meal that we just, we remember for a long time. And sometimes it'll just be basic spiritual nourishment that we need to live each day. Right. Just day by day. And it's, it's not always real exciting, but it's living the life for God is just consistency Mm -hmm. a lot of times. Okay. I, I want you to respond to this statement. This came to my mind, and uh, it might be great, but probably just not much like most of my thoughts, but I want you to respond to it. More people are seeking God's will than are willing to listen to it. Yeah, I definitely think that's true. And, you know, I think about this image. I mentioned it in one of the messages. That how many times do people sit there and say, God, just just show me your will. Like, like help me to find your will. And their Bible is sitting next to them closed. And what they're really saying is, God, show me the right decision to make. Show me what the future holds so that I can kind of navigate my destiny accordingly. When really what God wants us to do is to know him, Mm -hmm. to be diligent to study his word and not use God just as the means to an end that is comfort or success or significance, but as the end in and of himself. And that because we love him and desire to please him, that our desires and our decisions are shaped by that relationship. And so I think we really have to start by checking our own heart motive as we come to God in prayer about some of these decisions. Am I really wanting to make a decision that pleases God? Or am I wanting a decision that ultimately makes my life easier? And it doesn't mean it's wrong to want things to go well in your life. But that what is our ultimate aim, I think, is the key question. Well, it's hard to get out of the practice, too, of being in the Scripture, prayer. Uh, it's hard to get out of the practice of any kind of exercise, and that's what this is. So there are people here at our church, there are people all around throughout Christendom who have gotten out of the practice of reading the Bible. So they come to you and say, okay, Tim Cockrell, I, I, I've got to tell you, I'm kind of out of practice. It's hard to get into God's Word. It's hard to pray. Give me some advice. What Can you just help me get started again? What do you tell them? Yeah, uh, you know, there's a number of different ways that you can go. I would say start with a plan. That can be almost any plan. You know, it can be I'm going to read through the book of John. It can be I'm going to try to read through the Bible in a year. 
I'm going to use a devotional that's going to kind of help supplement and encourage me along this way. I'm going to set aside a specific time in prayer. But you know, I'm reminded of, I have a friend that's a physical therapist, and she really is, is wanting people to be healthy throughout their lives. And she said, I want to just encourage people, just move. Like you, you don't have to go run three miles. You don't have to go hike up a mountain. Just park your car further away and walk into the building. Just get up from your desk and you know walk around for ten minutes. Take the stairs. And I would kind of give the the spiritual equivalent of that. Don't feel like you have to accomplish some deep hour long Bible study. Just begin by digesting God's word. Maybe it's you sign up for an email or text notifications that that push those things into your life and into your schedule. But just start somewhere and start simply without feeling like it has to be some developed or incredibly deep thing. A psalm a day, a proverb a day. You got it. Uh, just those kinds of things. So, Whatever it, the plan is, just execute it. it might and be. as with any discipline, it's going to take time to develop it into a practice. Great. great. And this look, this is just great advice for any of us in any part of our life. Just get up and start. Mm-hmm. It's a lot easier to quit than it is to start. Yep. Tim, you mentioned at one point in your message that our goal needs to be one of seeking and not defining God's will. My paraphrase here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way you describe it, like we've been talking here already, it makes it seem a whole lot less mysterious and a whole lot more commonsensical than we often think it is. I think that's true. You know, we, we talked about this in the very first sermon that, the I'll call it the traditional approach to kind of finding God's will, that there's this mysterious, hidden, secret will of God that you have to try to discern and even divine in order to be able to make your decisions. What that seems to suggest about God is that he's kind of a, a sneaky God playing hide-and-seek with you, saying, hey, this decision's really, really important. I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I'm going to hold you accountable if you don't do the right thing. Good luck. Yeah, exactly. But when we think about the way God has related to his people, he reveals to me all that I need for life and godliness. And if that is true, then he isn't expecting me to somehow discern his secret will in advance, but to live in light of his revealed will in the present. And again, that's less exciting than maybe what we might typically think of when we talk about God's will, but I think it's far more reassuring because we can do that. We can rest in that without having this false guilt or uncertainty that, man, if I don't get the right answer, I'm going to be living with plan B for the rest of my life. Right. And if I'm living in plan B, I might be messing it up for somebody else as well. Sure. Yep, exactly. That I think the the example that we have of Paul, for instance, in the book of Acts, a number of times he says, we thought it best to fill in the blank. Well, behind that is a whole lot of a process that is what we would call sanctified common sense. We looked at the opportunities. We looked at the challenges. We, we understood what our desires were, and we understood ultimately what God's purposes were. And we made the decision that seemed best to us trusting that God was going to work out his will, even if we didn't see everything exactly correctly. And you talk to uh, here this past Sunday about the importance of 
wise counsel, godly counsel. Uh, I know there have been times in my life uh, where I thought I knew where I wanted to go, and I really didn't want to listen to others because they were giving me counsel that was different from where I wanted to go or where it might have been easiest, even if it wasn't necessarily, you know, I really want to go a certain area, but it would have been easier not to talk with them. Uh, I've counseled my children when you're getting married, talk to other people, and especially listen very closely to your siblings. They'll be able to tell you what they really think. Mm -hmm. And bringing this particular individual into the family, what do they think about it? Your thoughts on seeking that counsel, from whom should we seek such counsel, and uh, from whom perhaps should we not seek Mm -hmm. this counsel? Yeah. As far as from whom we should seek this counsel, I think kind of I would put it in two general categories. One, who are the people who know you well who are marked by spiritual maturity? You know, there's plenty of people that know us well, but, you know, some people may not have the same priorities as we might. So who who has the freedom to ask us those hard questions? Or who are we willing to even listen to if they were to say, hey, I'm concerned that maybe you're going about this with the wrong motive or with the wrong method? And so one of those categories is just the people that have the freedom to ask us hard questions and that we're going to be honest and teachable to. The other category would be those who have maybe walked through similar experiences. Mm -hmm. You know, so maybe you are considering a cross-country move and you know of a good friend of yours that walked through that just a, a year or two ago. Ask them what questions they ask, what God taught them through that process. Or maybe you're considering, you know, God, should we walk down this path of adoption? Talk to a family who's walked down the path of adoption. Learn from what God has taught them. And I think there's great wisdom in that. So perhaps even looking for people who you know might tell you differently from what you believe to be right or what you really think you want to do? Yeah. I think you want to look for the people who are going to tell you honestly. You know, So you're not just looking for contrarians, but you're also not just looking for those who you know are going to readily agree with you. And I think this is, you know, you ask, who shouldn't we ask for counsel from? I'm not sure I would answer that question directly. I think I would just offer this caution. We all have the tendency to seek out those who will agree with us and affirm our decisions. And I've seen this pastorally many times where someone will gather around them a coalition of those who agree. And so, therefore, it kind of drowns out the voices of those, especially if it's a sin issue, who are saying, this really isn't right. Many times I'll see this in case of a divorce. If somebody feels like, hey, I've justified, I'm justified and have good reasons for pursuing that divorce, they're going to pursue others, maybe even unsaved coworkers and things that are like, yeah, you have a right to go do that. And that's going to begin to blunt the force of those who are expressing godly concern about those choices. And if you choose to go against the wise counsel, uh, even if you don't agree, even if you, or especially because you don't agree with it, um, you are, you're going against perhaps God's counsel. You know, it's hard to know, but I think we have to be suspicious of our own hearts because whenever we have deep emotions and strong desires, it's going to raise a deflector shield that is going to repel anything that challenges the preferred path that we want to walk down. 
And Tim, I can think of numerous times, uh, even in elder meetings and elder deliberations, where uh, I can think of one in particular this year, uh, where we, uh, the elders, are, are making some decisions, just working through some doctoral matters. Mm-hmm. And I know that, that our chairman, I think very wisely, said, I'd like for you, you, and you to deal with this matter mm-hmm. and give it a first pass. I want you to meet and come back to us. Mm-hmm. And and you are on one of those committees where yeah. where everybody knows that there is there are differences of opinion mm-hmm. on this particular matter. But this so this is being done within the leadership of the church where you're putting two or three or four wise men together who have honest convictional differences mm-hmm. and saying, Hey, we want you to work through this first and then bring it back to us, bring back what you've gotten to. There's wisdom in that. Absolutely. And that's really what we're talking about Mm -hmm. at its its base. Well, and again, we want to focus on the fact that the goal is not primarily the product, but what God wants to do through the process. And that through that process, he's going to sanctify us. He's going to help us to listen well. He ideally is going to be cultivating humility in our hearts if we are teachable enough to be soft clay in his hands. And as a result, we're going to build bonds of trust, even when we don't agree. We're going to model what unity looks like, even when it isn't marked by uniformity. And that we are going to come out on the other side saying, I I maybe didn't win that vote, or, or my perspective wasn't necessarily what everybody agreed with. But I feel like this dialogue has confirmed to me that, you know, in the elder context, my brothers love me. And that they've heard these concerns, and I I can rest in the fact that there's wisdom in the multitude of counselors. Do you mean the senior pastor of a church doesn't always win a vote in the nope, elder council? Not at all. <laughs> oh, and, and you know, again, that speaks to just what you said. I was going to bring that up. The whole idea of unity mm-hmm. in the church has to start somewhere. And if it doesn't start with the elders' leadership, it's going to be hard to enjoy that throughout the congregation. Mm-hmm. Tim, uh, let's let's go down this whole idea. You know, one of the original questions I, I also talked to you about is divining, not divining God's will. You mentioned a number of instances in Scripture when individuals seem to have received a direct revelation from God about what they should do. You mm-hmm. talked about uh, you've talked about Paul as he was uh, before he went to Philippi. He received in a vision, mm-hmm. man from Macedonia said, "Come on over mm-hmm. to us." Seems to have been direct revelation. Uh, Gideon as uh, another example. Uh, the eleven apostles after Jesus, Judas's betrayal of Jesus, Jesus's subsequent death and resurrection. Okay, we're going to have we need to replace this one. Well, they cast lots. Yeah, mm-hmm. there are a lot of a lot sure. of discussion about this, but uh, it's something probably all believers. I know I've done it in years past. Maybe putting out a fleece of sorts. You didn't touch on this explicitly, but but I think it's good to do so in this setting. That's the idea of divination. Mm-hmm. Some might call it you know dark arts, magic, calling on the spirits, or so forth. But I'm thinking specifically of tools such as you know, Ouija boards tarot cards, uh, psychics, that kind of thing. Can you talk about that? I know there are people in our church who no doubt who have uh, entered into some of that over the years, maybe even now, thinking through, well, this seems like it might be a seance, might be a good thing. I'm trying to divine God's will. Can you talk to us about those types of, if I can call them tools? Sure, yeah, and I think when we think about divination, you know, if I were to define this, it would be 
somehow knowing the mind of God. And at some Be level, <laughs> at some level, we want to say, yes, we do want to know the mind of God. But so often what we mean by that is we want to know his plan. We want to somehow have insight into his omniscience. And there are times in scripture where God graciously does disclose some small specific aspect of his plan. Invariably, that's for the purpose of kingdom advancement. So you mentioned, you know, Paul's Macedonian call. It also wasn't something that the person sought out. It was that got something that God, you know, freely offered to them. And so I think it's interesting. You think about like Saul, for instance, and the witch of Endor. You know, that God had said there, there will be no attempts to contact people who have died, you know, their spirits. And, and yet Saul seeks out someone who uh, will do this. And if you read in the text, th- this witch uh, is doing this and suddenly she sees a spirit and she cries out in terror, uh, ostensibly because she wasn't used to it actually working, you know, <laughs> that she was used to it being kind of a deception. But I think we have to recognize there are dark spiritual forces at work and that if we are not careful, whether through explicitly, you know, dark arts like, you know, Ouija boards or tarot cards and things like that, or even through what I would call kind of the Christian equivalent, that the voices in our head or the desires in our hearts are not necessarily from God. And that's where we have to just really guard ourselves against this kind of mystical, subjective approach to trying to know God's word and, and staying away from any of these things that are explicitly, um, quite honestly, demonic, that these are not just uh, things to play with or, or to play around with, but to be avoided at all costs. And again, meditating, marinating on God's word, in God's word, and having godly people around us who are going to challenge us if they see some of these things and some of these practices, maybe some of these tendencies that we tend to, tend to go towards mm-hmm. and challenging us. Well, you mentioned a couple of times the process that you and Katie went through when you were seeking God's will. It's been two, two and a half years ago since Brandon Waltz, you shared mm-hmm. this from the platform, since he contacted you, the uh, leader of our pastoral search committee, and you and Katie were presented with some thoughts. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were looking to, you know, you're being asked to consider moving your family from uh, Massachusetts mm-hmm. to Cedarville, Ohio. Can you share with us, some, very practically speaking, some of the ways that you and Katie were seeking to discern God's will in this matter? Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, just thinking about some of the categories we talked about on Sunday, there, there were convergence of things. You know, one was desire. We loved the church that we were serving in up in Massachusetts. But more and more, there was a sense of restlessness of wondering, God, am I the right person to lead in this church uh, moving forward? Or, or do you have someone else that's going to help them to begin that next chapter? But that in and of itself was not cause for me to say, hey, I want to go you know, look for a different church. Uh, another element was uh, opportunity, You know what we would call open doors. That doesn't mean for certain that's where God wants you to go. But you know, Brandon's call uh, that we were one of the candidates they were considering was a humbling and also at some level clarifying, okay, this isn't a closed door. And so we now need to weigh this out. And so then that led us down a path of trying to get to know grace, trying to discern what we knew about ourselves to say, God, is this a good fit philosophically and practically? 
we consider what that meant for our family, you know, from things as very practical of, you know, is this going to provide for our financial needs? You know, what's the cost of living there? But also, what are the schools like? You know, what's the youth group like for our kids to be involved in? Those types of things. And that then through dialogue with the elder board, trying to just be very honest and authentic to say, here's who I am, here's where I stand, here's what my desires are, here's what my fears are, all those types of things, trusting that God was going to guide us through the counsel of this group. And that if the elders ended up saying, we don't think you're a good fit, then I don't want to go there. And in the same way, if as Katie and I discerned, we said, we don't feel like we're a good fit for this church, then the elders wouldn't want us to be there. And that through that collaborative process that ultimately culminated in a congregational vote that said, not only do the elders think that this is a good fit, but that the congregation affirms that, those were all the different elements that ultimately led us to say, God this is where you're leading and we're excited to follow you. Okay. You, you bring in and when, even when I ask that question, I'm talking to a married man. <clears throat> Let's talk to the married couples here mm-hmm. uh, just for a moment. Uh, we have situations that come up in every marriage where uh, the man or the woman says, I just don't think that is God's leading for us. But the other spouse says, Oh, I think it is. Mm-hmm. I'm going to hit you cold here. Sure. Talk through that kind of a of a discussion mm-hmm. that a man, a husband, and a wife sometimes has to have. Um, just as an example, I remember when God had shared with me <clears throat> that we were done with four children. <laughs> and it was February of 2001 when Sandy let me know that, uh, no, that wasn't God's leading at all. <clears throat> and she had verifiable proof. <laughs> so anyway, let's talk through that discussion between a husband and a wife. Yeah. And, and we touched on this just very briefly at the end of the message of what do we do when we feel like we know what is wise and someone we really trust and, and our spouse would be, you know, the clearest example of that doesn't see it the same way. I think the key thing is, and we talked about this even just momentarily or just a bit ago when we talked about the elders, you stop and you slow down to recognize we need to make this decision in the right way and in the right heart. And so whatever it is that God's going to lead you to do, he's going to lead you to do it in a unified way. Now, what I'm not saying there is that the other person's going to say, oh, I see it your way now, or I'm in complete agreement. But the, I think the first step is to listen and to listen carefully. For all of us, when we're about to make a decision, we think we have good reasons. You know, I, I mentioned on Sunday, every bad decision I've ever made, I had good reasons <laughs> to make, and I, I thought it was the right decision in the moment. So slow down, and rather than listening to respond, listen to understand. Mm. So that your spouse knows that you've heard them, that you've benefited from the wisdom that God has given them and not just to you, and that you are, are carefully considering how this decision might influence them, what perspective they have that maybe is a blind spot for you. Then from there, seek out additional counselors as well, asking specifically for their perspective on the perspective that your spouse has provided. Because the more you expand that, slow down and pray about your motives. Why is it that you're feeling impatient about this decision? Why is it that you're feeling frustrated when your spouse disagrees with you? And that through that conversation, the prayer would be, even if you don't end up seeing things exactly the same way, that there is a spirit of unity 
to take steps of faith in that direction, recognizing that God can still steer you in ways that you wouldn't have expected as you follow him. In our church, we would hold to a complementarian view of, of marriage. Mm-hmm. Uh, the husband is a spiritual leader of the family. Uh, that does not at all denigrate the wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know in our family that kind of works out in this way. We're both generals, but uh, at some point there are times when you come to a fork in the road, as Yogi Berra evidently said at one point, when you come to the fork in the road, take it. Mm-hmm. Well, you got to go one way or the other, mm-hmm. and you have to make a decision. There are other times, though, that when we, Sandy and I, have come to a fork in the road, it was okay just to sit still and wait. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even if it turned out later that one of us was right, and, and it's usually the case, one of us, if we come to a fork and one of us wants to think we should go left, one thinks we should go right, it's appropriate just to sit there for a while. Mm-hmm. Maybe not do anything, even if you know that it's the right way and the other person is just afraid or whatever it might be, um, it's okay to give that opportunity up for the time being for the sake of the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in general, and we're going to talk about this principle this coming Sunday, rushed decisions are generally bad decisions. And so we live in a society that is so eager to, to decide and to move forward and to, to be efficient that... It's okay to slow down and prioritize that relationship because I think, and I completely agree with the complementarian approach that's, you know, the way Katie and I operate as well. I think the danger there is that then many times the men will say, well, that means I'm the leader. I get to make the decisions. I get to be first. And that is so not what it means. Exactly. And, and so what I'll often tell husbands when we're doing marital counseling is, yes, it's true that in a complementarian approach, you do get to be first. You get to be the first to say, I'm sorry. You get to be the first to lay down your rights. You get to be the first to put the needs of others ahead of your own. And if you aren't making decisions in that mentality, then you are in great danger of moving in a direction that could actually be detrimental to the spiritual health of your family. Your wife, your children who are watching you, and everybody else who is watching you as well. Uh, I may or may not have an experience with the United Consumers Club, a purchasing power club that I took a real good sales talk on (laughs) and bought in, and man, that was a mistake. But anyway, that's a 20-year-old, 25-year-old Bart, and uh, hopefully I'm wiser because Mm. I don't make those decisions as quickly anymore. Tim, next week, we're going to be ending this series, and I'm guessing that you may have a two-week reading plan that you might want to suggest to our listeners. For after that last sermon? (coughs) Let's do it. Yeah, so after that, we're going to be studying the book of Habakkuk. It's actually going to be a three-week series that we're going to do. This little book in the Minor Prophets is one that has just such profound practical contemporary significance. As Habakkuk wrestles with kind of two questions, how long... Oh, Lord. And why? And what we're going to do is we're going to look at his prayer of lament as he looks at these painful circumstances and tries to help understand how that fits in what he knows to be true about God. And and so I would encourage you, read the book of Habakkuk. There's going to be some things as you read through it about the Babylonians and things that you're going to say, okay, I'm not sure I I exactly get that. But man, you get to chapter three of Habakkuk and there's just just beautiful prayer of confidence and assurance that uh, Chris Miller is going to unpack for us in the middle of June that is just so helpful and practical. I think that'd be a great way to 
prepare for that series. Seeing God's will unfold in ways that we never would have chosen, but uh, God's will is a perfect one. Yes, and resting in that sovereign will when we don't understand. Tim, thanks for joining us. A great looking forward to this final session in our series, Understanding God's Will. Likewise. We've been digging deeper today with Tim Cockrell, and you can access Grace Sermons and podcast episodes on demand by visiting gracecedarville.org on the World Wide Web and clicking the Media tab. We also encourage you to share your questions and comments with us each week. You can email those to contact at gracecedarville.org. Plan to join us next time. As we said before, we'll be completing our discussion of our sermon series, Understanding the Will of God. Until we meet again, I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, thanking you for tuning into this episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. Digging Deeper in Grace is a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Visit us online at gracecedarville.org and join us next time as we continue our discussion. In the meantime, we invite you to continue digging deeper in grace as you read God's Word.